Welcome. My name is Christian Horn. I serve as a leader in Kids Church in Catalyst Youth Group, and I attend the Man God Uses Life Group on Wednesday mornings. Today is day nine of our 21 day of fast and prayer. I want to encourage you today in your fast to continue praying for revelation and that the power of Christ is revealed in you. If we pray for the unknown, impossible, and the miraculous, what would those prayers sound like? Let us pray those prayers. All of the subjects that we have been and will be discussing throughout these 21 days are based on going deeper in our relationship with Jesus and living that fully devoted life with Him. Today we will be talking about evangelism in the face of persecution. I want to start with diving into the Word. Please turn with me in Acts 8. I will be reading starting in verse 1 and continuing to verse 8, and I will also be reading from the ESV version. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. All right, so the execution being talked about in this scripture is that of Stephen, if you might not have guessed. And if you want to read about that, just jump back a chapter to Acts 7. I want to summarize some ideas and lessons from this scripture. And I think the best way to do that is through John Piper, a theologian. He shared back in 1991 in his devotional series called Desiring God. And I think that the lessons shared then are very applicable to today. First, God makes persecution serve the unstoppable mission of the church, your mission, your ministry. Verse 1 shows us that God makes persecution serve the Great Commission. It says, On that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Up until now in the book of Acts, all the ministry has taken place in the city of Jerusalem. No one had moved out to Judea or Samaria, but Jesus had said in Acts 1.8 that the coming of the Holy Spirit was to empower missions in Jerusalem and beyond. Quote, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. End quote. Now Acts 8.1 uses exactly those two unreached areas in that order. Quote, they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, end quote. So whether the church may have awakened to her call eventually without persecution, the fact is that God used persecution to move his people into the mission he had given them. Second lesson, if your faithfulness brings trouble to the church, like Stephen's did, you will be honored and not blamed, at least by the godly. The encouraging thing to see in this text is that Stephen is honored and not blamed. The persecution in Jerusalem started because of Stephen. That's clear here, and it's clear in Acts eleven nineteen. 
quote, the persecution that arose over Stephen, end quote. When Luke tells God's version of the story, Stephen is a man full of grace and power. When he spoke his final words that enraged the council, Luke says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And here in Acts 2, Luke says that devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Stephen is honored, not blamed for the persecution, at least by devout men. Worldly people might be worried about goods and kindred and status, but the devout people who think the way Jesus thinks about life, they let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body that may kill, God's truth abideth still. So the second encouraging truth here is this. When persecution comes because of courageous, faithful, God-honoring obedience, godly people don't blame the servant of the Lord. They give honor. Third lesson, your worst critics can become your precious comrades by the power of Christ's converting grace. The encouraging thing to see here is that sometimes our worst enemies become our best friends. Verse 3, but Paul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This Saul is one who would be dramatically converted and become the best friend and advocate Christianity ever had. We need to live in this hope again and again. Fearsome enemies can become precious friends. Adversaries can become advocates. Critics can become comrades. For most of us, it is pretty easy to believe that the intimate disciple can become a deadly betrayer like Judas. That's the way the world is. But we need to remember that a deadly persecutor can also become a great ally and partner in the cause of Christ. That's the way God is. That's the kind of power he has. And our fourth and final lesson is that the very word, the gospel, the, that brings persecution sometimes brings joy, always and forever. The encouraging thing in this text is that even though the word of God brought persecution and exile, it still brings good news and joy. The paragraph that begins with verse 4 ends with verse 8. Verse 4 says that the scattered, persecuted Christians preached the word wherever they went. They announced the very word that brought persecution as good news. And verse 8 confirms that it was good news because it says, So there was much joy in the city. The word that brings persecution also brings joy, and the joy it brings is so much greater and longer than the trouble it brings. It is worth the trade-off. Why? Well, verse 7 says the unclean spirits were coming out of people and leaving them free and whole and pure. It says that many that were paralyzed or lame were being healed. But the main reason that there is joy is what we read in verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Christ alone has the power to deliver from Satan and all his evil. Christ alone has the power to heal our bodies and now and finally in our resurrection. Christ alone has the right and power to forgive our sins and make us right with God. So if you have Christ... If you know him and trust him, then no matter how severe the persecution is, no matter how great the suffering of life you have, hope and have joy. There was so much joy in that city because Philip preached Christ. I want to leave you with one of my favorite stories, a story that to me has always represented how I should act as a believer and in the face of persecution. Some of you may have seen the older, don't worry, I won't say old, movie Chariots of Fire. If you know me, you know I love old movies, and I have very fond memories of this movie. It is the story of Eric Liddell, 
I believe it highlights good examples of how we as Christians should evangelize, even when we are criticized or persecuted for it. Eric Liddell was an Olympic-level runner who was training for his best event in the 1924 Olympics, the 100-meter dash. However, before the Olympics, Liddell found out his race was to be held on Sunday. Among strong criticism from peers, friends, and even his country, Liddell remained firm that because of his faith, he would not run on Sunday. Instead, he pivoted to the 400-meter dash and, with God's blessing, blew the competition away. Fast forward to the end of his life, Liddell was called to minister to China, the country he was born into by his missionary parents. It was right before World War II, and this Olympic hero is choosing to stay in this country, separated from his family, when everyone is saying to come home. But because he knew he was listening to God's call, he stayed. In 1943, he was finally rounded up with others by the Japanese and sent to a prison camp. Here, he used his skills and charm to help set up a food-sharing program in the camp, and in his extra time, he would teach the children. When the British government arranged for his release, he refused. He gave his spot to another woman in the camp who was pregnant. Eventually, Liddell became very sick and passed away in the camp in 1945, at the age of just 43. While he was sick and in a lot of pain, he never complained about how hard it was, and he hardly ever mentioned the difficulties he was experiencing. His last letter back to his family never mentioned his sickness, but rather focused on the good being done in the camp. I want this story and devotion to encourage you as it encouraged me in your journey of prayer and fasting. Whether it is the story of the early church or the story of Eric Liddell, let us challenge ourselves to persevere in our faith, even in the face of persecution, whatever that may look like in your life. Let us close in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for this time to dive into your word and to learn from it. Let us be encouraged in your ultimate and perfect plan for salvation. Lord, I pray that you reveal yourself to your children, give revelation, answers to prayer, and blessings according to your will. Please lead us and encourage us where we may struggle to evangelize in the face of persecution. Bless us and keep us, and may your face shine upon us and give us peace. In your name, amen.